0: Lord, we come to you right now and we thank you uh, for um, the blessing of gathering. I thank you for the unity that we have in Christ as we come together. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would work and move so that we would understand more clearly and more fully your holiness. Lord, you are more holy than we can comprehend. And our study tonight... You have us in a place where, I mean, it's very obvious that we, we need to see that. Um, so I pray that you would guide us accordingly and um, reveal to us your word so that we can walk in truth, so that we can obey wholeheartedly. Lord, I also pray uh, tonight for the Holtz as they had baby Tucker uh, yesterday. Um, normally, Cody's here running all the stuff, but uh, there f- the hospital is a family celebrating, and I, I pray that you would bless them bless them with rest, and I continue uh, to give the baby good health. We thank you for that. Lord, as a church, my prayer is that you would keep us obedient and keep us worshipful. I pray that we would not move forward begrudgingly as though the things you call us to are are burdensome, but that we would have joyful obedience um, in the things you call us to. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for drawing us near that we might know what holiness is so that we would walk in it. We thank you for redemption that's outside of us, and we count it a privilege to open the word that you have breathed out so that we would be equipped and competent for good work. All of this is about your glory. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So we're in Exodus 19. Turn there, if you will. Uh, Last week, or not last week and not the week before that, but the week before that, before the construction went crazy and we had to... Uh, call one of the Wednesday nights on account of crazy, and another one like in the like manner. We we're in Exodus 18. Does anyone remember what happened there? No, me either. Your Bible may have some hints. Feel free to utilize that resource, should you feel so led. Who is Jethro? Yeah, Jethro advised Moses to get some helpers. And why did he need helpers? What was he doing? Trying to lead the people by himself. And particularly, what was the exercise they were going through in chapter 18? It's not just an exercise, but we'll call it that. It was real life to them. This is the part of the study we call call it climbing back into the text, and sometimes it's harder than other times. So when Moses sat down, why was he doing that, and why were people coming to him? So we could judge the people. And what does it mean to judge the people? Was it just like, you're ugly, you're too tall. You're like, what what is judging the people? What does that mean? To settle disputes. Okay, how many people are we talking about? A lot. Can we specify that just a little? A million or two, yeah, yeah, there's, there's over a million people. And Moses is how many people? One. And so the ratio is a little off to provide good judgment for the people. And Jethro, like a good father-in-law, tells his son-in-law, you're not smart and you're dealing with this, and I'm going to help, I'm going to tweak the way you're doing this and make it right. Um, many men have had that happen from their father-in-law. Um, and so uh, Jethro says you're going to wear yourself out this isn't working Uh, there's no way you can judge between like millions of people by yourself no matter how long you sit here and how much endurance you think you have and so um, Jethro said to do what? he said quit this will never work Yeah, essentially Jethro introduced the idea of good order. 1 Timothy calls it stewardship. Stewardship is just good order, and that's really important in the church. If we just kind of go with every whim and depends on which way the wind's blowing, that's really not the best approach. We need to go to the Word, see what it says. There needs to be good order and structure so that we can move and function in an obedient, faithful manner. And that's what Jethro helps with. He showed him a picture of good order and realistic expectations. Ultimately, what was Moses burdened for? Why was he doing this in the first place? Did he just want a little peace and quiet in the million people? Was that all it was? Moses was really burdened for a good thing. Moses' aim was to make God's ways known to the people so that they could apply it to their everyday life. It was a very pastoral thing that Moses was doing. He's saying, I, I don't want y'all to be at odds with each other. I don't want y'all to be upset with each other. I don't want y'all to move forward in a way that is bitter and divisive. I want y'all to understand what God says, what God's intentions are, and I want to help you to apply that to your daily life. It was a very pastoral thing that Moses was doing. In a sense, Moses is saying, if I don't do this, they can... They, um, they'll move forward in a divisive manner, unreconciled to each other and unreconciled to God, ultimately. It's not just a matter of settling disputes, but it's a matter of communicating truth. That's what Moses was trying to do. So Moses heard the words from Jethro, you're not able to do it alone. You're not able to do it alone. Some of you hate those words. Why is it difficult to hear the words, you are not able to do it alone? What's difficult about that? oh, yeah, I got I to gotta loosen the grip a little bit. I got to let go of something. I got to let others tend to things. Um, it's difficult because uh, we like to think we can do it alone, and that is a, a lie that a lot of us fall into when we find ourselves uh, outside of community and, and, and being disobedient. How would you describe good order or stewardship within the body of believers? Just how would you all describe that in, in uh, got that, Luke? Subtle. Um, how would y'all describe good order and stewardship within the body? What are some things? What are some aspects that y'all see as it pertains to good order? Plural leadership. Order removes chaos. So we could conclude that. Y'all's lives aren't chaotic, right? No. Uh-huh. Yeah, elders have a responsibility. Deacons have a responsibility. Small group shepherds have a responsibility. Parents have a, sm- have a responsibility. Shepherds of families have a responsibility. Children have a responsibility. And there's this movement that is good order in the body. But if we were to just say, hey, do whatever, Go with the flow. That would that would not result in something more pure. It would result in something less pure because it would breed something chaotic. So last week's conclusion, not last week, not the week before, not the week before, but the week before that, the conclusion was we must see that God is not indifferent toward our steadfastness. And he essentially disallows steadfastness outside of community. What that means is that If you're outside of community and you're not walking in plurality, God's not going to allow there to be steadfastness. You will hit a ditch at some point and realize, I need to be in community with God's people. By his design, you can only have so much sound judgment as an individual. That's what what Moses was running into. By his design, as an individual, you can only have so much sound judgment. In fact, um, Psalms says, He who isolates himself sets himself against sound judgment. So... um, It may make sense in your head to say, Well, I I got all I need, but it's not biblical. By His design, you can only hold the staff in the air for so long. By His design, you can only tend to so many differences within the body. By God's design, we are dependent upon Him, oftentimes by way of being dependent upon each other. It's it's a picture of community. So now, within this new church, we have some structure that's now ready for what we could call the next step, and that's what we're going to get into in Exodus 19. I want us to see that it's no coincidence that God has us in Exodus 19 and in Hebrews 2 at the same time. We really need to climb into this chapter to try to experience uh, what God had the Israelites experience. That's what I'm hoping for. There's a lot of drama in Exodus 19, and I kind of want us to get wrapped up in the drama a little bit tonight for the purposes that that God had uh, originally. So look at 19 verses 1 through 4. They just figured out some structure in order to settle disputes, and now God is moving into a time where he's bringing them to Sinai so that they can receive the law. 19 verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, could seem like a letdown. Why? What's happened to Israel in the last three months? Three new moons previous to that. Something major happened to Israel. What was it? Brought out of Egypt. And how long were they in Egypt before that? 400 and something years. So Israel was in Egypt for 400 and something years, and they're brought out. And how were they brought out? In what manner were they brought out? Plagues. It was crazy. It was dramatic. God was saying, I'm making a point here. Pay attention. And so he brings them out of Egypt by way of the plagues, and uh, they left, and they plundered the Egyptians verbally, which is a funny way to plunder people. And they left with all this gold and silver, which will originally be what makes up uh the, the tabernacle and and they were delivered and then they got out and just as soon as they got out they find themselves in a predicament. What was the predicament? The Red Sea? And that and what happened at the Red Sea? God parted the waters, but before God parted the waters, what happened? They were whining. Yeah, they didn't come to the Red Sea and say, oh, this is so great. Look at what God's doing. He's totally going to part the waters. I trust him implicitly. He is good. We are sober-minded, and we will not grumble or be discontent. That's not what happened at all. It took, like, one little thing, and it looks like this This is a big deal. There's going to be bad. There's wilderness on either side. Here's the Red Sea. There's Pharaoh's uh, most intimidating forces that he has sent following us. We're at the Red Sea, and then and then God does deliver them. He does part the waters, and he allows them to go through. Uh, He hears some grumbling. He responds with much grace and mercy. But what were they ultimately being led to? Delivered out of Egypt, why? The promised land, yeah. Is Sinai the promised land? No, in fact, if you look at a map, they're just as far away from the promised land as they've ever been. So, Sinai could seem frustrating, and what, what are we doing here? Because it's not the promised land. Um, it's an unsettled mountainous terrain is where they are. Uh, turn back briefly to Exodus 3.12. Uh, we got to see this verse to understand that God is not taking, having that time and losing sight of what he is doing for his people. Exodus three verse twelve says, He said, God... But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So, through all these ordeals, this was before the plagues, this was before the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, this was before the craziness of the Red Sea, this was before some of the grumbling in the wilderness. Uh, this was before all those things that God said, this will be a sign to you. I'll bring you out and you're gonna worship God on this mountain. They are now at that mountain, Mount Sinai. And so what's being, what we're seeing in Exodus 19 is a fulfillment of God's promise in Exodus 3.12, which is good. Anytime we see God's promises fulfilled, we say, yay, we have a God who's trustworthy and he keeps his promises. And I've yet to find a time where he breaks his promises. So here's a fulfilled promise. So you can be like, man, Sinai, what are we doing here? But it's a fulfillment of God's promise, so we can rejoice in it, though it is not yet the promised land. If not for God's promises, we could end up feeling very far from the mark. To this point, how do you think Israel could be characterized as a people? Very ungrateful. How have they shown that they're very ungrateful? always complaining forgetful never enough so a sign that you're not grateful for what God's doing in your life is that you're in circumstances where you complain and you're not thankful and it's never enough that might be convicting to some of us they grumble right right you grumble (laughs) let's just take today let's just look at the day how's it going it's a default mode we fall into this we grumble we're divisive and we cry out to god and one commentator made a real good observation he said behind the grumbles lay the implied question what are we doing here that's the, the implied question when you say, well, he's got to be like this. This is like this. Why can't this be like this? I'm so frustrated at this. There's this implied question laying behind the grumbling of what are we doing here? That's what Israel is asking. And I think that it's the same for many of us. Do you find yourself asking the question, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Why in the world do I live in Hunt County? Why am I here? Why am I at this church? Why am I at this job? Why am I in this school? Why am I in this relationship? This could be asked by a bewildered parent looking at her kids or his kids who seem to have no end to their energy. What am I doing here? This could be asked by a person sitting at what seems to be a dead end and joyless job. What am I doing here? This could be asked by a college grad who's looking for employment. This could be asked by a recently retired individual trying to figure out how to spend the final years of this very short life on earth. What am I doing here? That is often the real question behind our grumbling. So I would ask you this, what, what is it that usually leads you into grumbling? Discontentment. And when does that bubble to the surface? Yeah, you know, when things don't go the way you planned them. And if you planned them in a godless way, that's gonna be a riff. What what are some other things that make discontentment bubble to the surface and cause you to grumble? And you can be honest, you can share what you've observed in other people's lives, maybe not your own. yeah yeah <laughs> I'm sorry. Not only is your wife nodding, she has something that's lighting up her face. <laughs> so it's like <sighs> Yeah, but it's really because we've actually changed Uh huh. Grumbling, yeah, it's good. Yeah. God is most concerned about his own glory. So, if we are image bearers, we must be most concerned with God's glory, not, not our own. And so, um, this grumbling comes up uh, when things aren't the way we want them to be or think they should be. And it's a pretty, pretty uh, daily thing. I mean, you're going to have to fight against that daily. Put to death the deeds of the flesh, don't, don't wink at sin. Um, what have we been promised? Children of God, what have you been promised? and I'll preface it with the children of God should greatly cherish God's promises co-heirs with Christ what does that mean God's children what does that mean for us tomorrow and what does that mean for us eternally Yeah, you're never hopeless. There's never a hopeless time. Peace, peace, peace is most needed in times of uncertainty and times that seem to lack peace. And so it's not a promise of you'll never have hard times. It's I will never leave you or forsake you. And eternally, you will be with me. Eternally, I'm bringing you to the promised land, which is less about a land and more about the God of the land. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and we will dwell with God, and we will see him for his glory, and we will not have sin. I mean, when Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death he was having this struggle with his flesh and he's saying I, I eagerly anticipate our eternity but, but we should let our eternal realities inform today and, and tomorrow and, and yesterday um, Sinai is very very important this is where Israel as we're coming to Sinai the title of tonight's deal is welcome to Sinai and I say welcome because we're going to be here for a year we're going to be at Sinai for a year This is where Israel will literally remain for the rest of Exodus. And the rest of Exodus covers the better part of a year, where they will remain encamped at the foot of this mountain and will learn much about themselves and their God. Interestingly, as I look at the schedule, I estimate that we will probably have about a year left in Exodus. So uh, we'll spend a year with the Israelites at Sinai. Ultimately, God brings Israel here, and God is bringing us here to fear Him rightly, to fear God rightly. We're going to learn what is pleasing to him, and we're going to see how we are to live during our journey to our final destination. Sinai is not the final destination, but it's very important. God has much to say. So look at verse 4 again in Exodus 19. It says, You yourselves have seen what I have done to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. God is sobering up the Israelites and getting their attention by recounting his own deeds. One of the Psalms says, I will... Worship the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of his wonderful deeds. And so what we could say is that wholeheartedness in worship is to recount the deeds of the Lord. And if we're image bearers, we're going to do exactly what God did here. God said, remember, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt where you were enslaved for multiple centuries. The, the generation that was delivered from Egypt was far removed from the generation that came to Egypt. There were those who were born into slavery and knew nothing else. And God's saying, I, I brought you out of there as though you were on eagle's wings. And he's referencing Isaiah forty thirty one, where it says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The running and the walking is, is things that we do here on earth. And so I would ask you, do you sense that? Do, do, you, do you embrace such power and might from God that you, that you actually, in your time here, could run and not be weary and walk and, and not faint? Interestingly, Isaiah 40, like Psalm 78, like Exodus 19 was written, so that we would not lose our awe. We would not lose our awe. We cannot lose our awe of God. What do you think happens if you lose your awe of God? Yep. Yeah. We can become a God unto ourselves. I'll make the call. I'll make the shots. Start looking for something else to give you that all. Yeah. Bigger house, nicer car. Yeah. Yeah, you can miss that takeout point and drift further and further away. What's the, and the other obvious one that we've already talked about is you grumble. I grumble because I've lost sight of the awe of God I say this, this is horrible and this should be like this because you're losing sight of the fact that God is very much involved in the details the, the intricate the mundane details of your everyday life I was reminded this week as I was going through a deal that Paul Tripp did is he, he said most of your life is mundane you make very few major and important decisions in your life so most of them are mundane details and he says if God is not the God of your mundane details then he's not the God of your life because that's what makes up most of your life and so um, we can grumble when we fall out of awe of who God is. And I would ask, what's the difference between a person who has lost their awe and one who is constantly in awe? What do you guys observe in people who you see in awe of God and those who are not? Yeah, more eternally minded. They're worshiping. What else? Humble. It's funny. <laughs> the more you understand one who is much greater than you, the more humble you are, as opposed to when you lose, lose your all, you become puffed up, conceited, arrogant, rude. Yeah. Serenity. <laughs> Let's uh, hold on. Serenity. Has anyone experienced that in the last uh, eight years? serenity like the, that's, that's a picture of this, this, this peacefulness this environment that is invaded with peace and consistency and steadfastness actually is a, is a it's a quiet unhurriedness quiet and unhurried is that is that how things are going maybe it has there's a connection to your awe uh, of God there's a challenge for us here in the scripture um, look at verses 5 through 7 Now, therefore, now what's the therefore? Therefore, anytime we see therefore in scripture, ask the question: What's the therefore? Therefore, if 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 we're going to ask that question now, what's the answer? You could answer it by saying because blank. So let's get our because our therefore in place. Yeah, because I have delivered you and I have brought you out of Egypt to myself at Sinai, the mountain where I promised you would come to worship. Because of that, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Um, Is there any word in those verses that bothers you? If. If it didn't bother you before, let's let it bother you for a moment now. What does that imply? It's conditional. What's conditional? Blessing is a conditional. What else would that imply? If you don't, you're not. Yeah. uh-huh yeah 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 that, yeah yeah this is hard What's about to happen right now is we're going to open up a can of worms that we're not going to clean up tonight. Okay? So just, just, if you're thinking, did he just say I have to earn my approval with God? Okay, we're opening up a can of worms. It's going to be messy and wormy uh, for a couple of weeks. So we need to embrace that. Um, our salvation is not a works-based salvation. Our faith is not a works-based faith. But there are some things in Scripture about faith and works, and we're going to address them. And I think this... Uh, ushers us into it we're going to begin to unpack this tonight if it, um, is our approval in god's eyes conditional is our approval in god's eyes conditional i personally feel like cross point is entering into a season where god is going to help us with clarity so that we might rightly guard doctrine Guarding doctrine is important. Understanding what you believe, why you believe it. Romans 14 calls it being fully convinced as to what you believe is very important. And so I'm going to ask a bunch of questions in the next 15 minutes that are going to be purposefully uncomfortable. Oftentimes, those who are not Reformed, oftentimes those who are not Reformed tend to cling to good works and ignore passages like Romans 9. Pay close attention here. Because just as often, those who are Reformed tend to ignore good works. I have observed that many people who are Reformed tend to ignore the need for good works. This is problematic. And in a like manner, ignore passages like Exodus 19, the therefore and the if. Or you ignore Hebrews 2 where it says, pay much closer attention to what you've heard lest you drift away. Ooh, I don't like the lest you drift away. That's troubling to me. Elect people don't drift. And James, there's much warning in the Scripture for us to pay attention to our lives. Hebrews 2 says, pay much closer attention to what you've heard lest you drift away. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What I'm getting at is I think that God wants this group of Reformed believers to not miss what it means to live an acceptable life. I think God wants us to embrace holiness and godliness and to carefully measure our actions and our words. I think that God wants us... uh, I think he's aiming to make sure that our works express the greatness of him. God wants us to see the possibility of drifting. God wants us to see the possibility of unacceptable living. So that we do not lose sight of the fact that his patience is meant to lead us toward repentance. Look at verse 8. Look how they respond to such a thing. All the people answered together. It's good to see them, like mine, oneness, all that people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. My question is, are they foolish to agree to such terms? You're running into a covenant with the living God who is holy beyond your understanding, and you just said, all that you say, I will do. Is that foolish? These are where the uncomfortable questions come in. Can you say, as you sit there, can you say to the Lord, all that you say, I will do? If not, does God say it's okay for you to say, all that you say, holy God who is above all else and unlike any other, all that you say, I will take it and I will consider all of it and then I will do what I can. Is God okay with that? Is partial obedience a good, a good endeavor? Some of us have such calamity and unrest and disorder in our lives that it seems impossible to agree to such terms. All that you say, I will do. I don't even have time to listen to all that you say. Or I'm going to say I don't have time when in fact I do have time, I'm just using it poorly. But then I would ask, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of your call? What terms do you agree to when you begin your journey of faith? That's a question I'd actually like to hear some response to. What terms do you agree to when you begin your journey of faith? Yeah? Yeah? Hope that you will do all he asks. Yeah. Do you have terms that you've agreed to? Christian people, children of God? Deny yourself? Take up the cross? Follow him? Okay, now we're getting somewhere. What else? okay yeah so is this just a futile and cruel endeavor no what we're going to see here is the holiness of God in a beautiful way we have to see our depravity but we also have to see you're called to holy living godliness is not unattainable or else he would not call you to it godness is unattainable you will not be a god or partly god but godliness is, is is very attainable. But not if you take your eyes off Christ and not if you grumble. And we got I want to consider these terms. I want to consider, well, w- what terms uh, have I agreed to in my journey of faith? And then I would ask, you know, have you kept your word? And then how do sacrifices play into that? This is a big can of worms that we're opening tonight. Look at verses 9 through 15. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. Now, There's a lot of imagery here, and you're supposed to get it. You're supposed to climb into it. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. You elect people drawn out from Egypt. You touch the mountain, you die. Oh, how? No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. So no one's going to beat you. They will throw rocks and arrows at you. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain, but set, set that perimeter. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Now... Uh, women aren't dirty. Um, this is a picture of purity. Um, there are scriptures saying, do not abstain from the marriage bed uh, unless for a time for prayer. That's, that's the only good reason scripture gives. And so that would imply that women are not dirty. Uh, relations in marriage are not dirty. Um, but this is a time set aside to be consecrated and to ready yourself to engage the Lord. So I want to make that really clear that God's not sexist. Um, and I don't want that to be misunderstood. So, but my, my question is, what kind of people will God draw near to? According to those passages, what, what does God say of the kind of people he will draw near to? Consecrated? Obedient? What's another way to say that in terms of these verses? Holy? Set-apart? Set-apart? prepared if there's washing involved what must they be clean yeah clean okay so the kind of people God will draw near to are clean people so let's, let's walk that out the kind of people God will draw near to are clean people we're going to walk through this so what separates us from God sin what's another way to say sin in terms of cleanliness Dirty, unclean. So do we clean ourselves up so that we are ready for God to come near or does God clean us up so that we are ready for God to come near? What? Both and. Cano worms. God says, clean it up. I'm coming close. Say that again? Yeah. Yeah. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai, delivered from Egypt, delivered from slavery, redeemed. Clean yourself up. I'm coming over. Yes. Yes. So. Okay. <laughs> Both hands seems comfortable right now. Not the comfort is bad. This, this gets tricky. One commentator made the point. He says, consecration includes setting aside or altering aspects of daily living in preparation to meet God. Do you ever change your daily living to be ready to, to meet God? As I read the following passages, I want to try to import your senses and figure out what it is that God wants his people to feel. I'm gonna start in verse 16. Can someone tell me what time it is according to your iPhone? 10 till. 40 minutes left. I'm kidding. Verse 16. In chapter 19. Climb into this. Import your senses. What does this look like? What does this smell like? What does this sound like? Why is God doing this this way? Those are questions you need to ask as we read this. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings. And a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. You like that? Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. God had actually descended on this mountain in fire, and it was wrapped in smoke and shaking. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai. To the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. You have just agreed to do all that this God has said. That's what just happened. Whatever you say, God, we will do it all. And He has descended upon this mountain in a way that He is making a point. God is not being subtle here. You find yourself in this spectacle of power and might. So I would ask, what might you be thinking at this time? The ground is shaking. Peals of thunder, fire, lightning. What might you be thinking? It doesn't have to be deep. The ground is shaking. Submission. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you ever had those glorious moments in life where you realize how very small you are? I was driving down the road one night and it was a thunderstorm and lightning struck just like a few feet in front of my car on this pole with a transformer and sparks went everywhere. Man, I I was wigging out. I I was like, whoa, whoa, that was really close. It was really close to my car that I'm in. I would have died like immediately if that would have been off by less than a few feet. Like, it really, I just never had lightning strike that close. I mean, I saw it, and I thought, man, I'm glad God's aim was not over a little bit, or like that. I'm done. I am finished. All of my days are over. It really, like, I'm small. That's one bolt of lightning. We're talking about an entire mountain shaking, smoke going up like that of a kiln. Heals of thunder, lightning, and fire. And when God responds, he does so with thunder. I ask you a question. God, I'm asking you a question. God says, <laughs> I mean, this would be pretty crazy. You would have a, a real sense of, okay, God is huge. I think God's making the point that he's, he's bigger than I am. He's more powerful than I am. He's mightier than I am. And ultimately, he's holier than I am. Yes. Yes, that, that's those are some of those cards that will that will certainly fall into place as we unpack this. This is designed to manifest the dignity, the holiness, and the greatness of the one with whom they are making their covenant. Our God is a God not to be presumed upon. Do you presume upon God? Our God is not a God to be lightly encountered. Do you encounter him lightly? I'd like to get specific here. I mean, we don't have to talk about it. I don't need to hear from you. We don't need to lay back and air our junk. But in your mind, at least, say, okay, am I encountering God lately? And in so, if so, how am I encountering God lately? Am I presuming upon God? If so, how am I doing that? How am I, and do, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good. For building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Don't dabble in sin. Set your mind and your eyes on the things above, not on the things of earth. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing from whom you will receive your inheritance. Are those realities, I mean, how are you coming before God with your everyday life? How are the mundane details of every day affecting your view of God and how you are communicating that to everyone who's watching as you are designed to be an image bearer? This is very serious. The ground is shaking for a reason. God is not being subtle. Yeah, there's a perfect parallel with that in Exodus 20:20, which we're going to close with. That's a that's a good um, a good satellite. This our God is a God not to be presumed upon or lightly encountered. We must be committed to personal holiness. God is certainly making this a point. And look at verses 21 through 25. Keep in mind that satellite verse, and keep in mind what you've seen here in verses 21 through 25. And the Lord said to Moses. Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. So what happens if they break through and take a look at what Moses is seeing? They die. They don't just have vision problems. They don't just get freaked out a little bit. They die. So God says, make sure that doesn't happen. Tend to that detail wisely and diligently, please, Moses. Moses. So Moses went down to the people and told them. When God repeats himself, it behooves us to listen. What does he repeat himself with? Uh, What's the repetition that we see from God in these verses? Okay. Yeah. He says it, and then Moses says, Well, they're not going to. I already told them the rule. You told me to tell them. We set up the perimeter. God says, yeah. Make sure they don't break through, lest I set myself against them. Don't break through. Don't come too close. He's saying what's happening here is God is urging them not to deal lightly with his holiness and their lack of holiness. God is so holy and sin is so corrosive. That is a theme you've heard through the years because it's a theme through the word with which we're walking. God is saying even though you have had 3 days of consecration and cleansing, don't get too close. I am that holy. I want to make sure we leave tonight with at least a little bit of a rounded out view so turn to or just look over actually probably for most of you at Exodus 20: Now remember that satellite from 1 John about if you're righteous certainly it's not from within yourself it's it's from God. And here in Exodus 20:20 20, 20, it says this. Moses said to the people, "Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin." Now, the ground is shaking, fire, lightning, thunder, smoke, Warning after warning after warning, and he says, "Do not fear." Like it would, by all appearances, I would be like, "Well, I think I think he like he's trying to make us fear." So, what what what's the balance here? And the balance is found in that verse. He says, "Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin." You're looking upon the holiness of God. You're experiencing it, and you're learning not to sin. You're learning to live a life that is consecrated. You're learning to live a life that is holy, that is set apart, that is godly, so as to be a reflection of the greatness of your God. So, we're understanding God's purpose and fear here. And we've got to understand the order, too. God has redeemed this people that they would walk in obedience. If not for God, they would not be standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. The people who are standing at the foot of Mount Sinai are the exact people who God wants to be standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. There's no room for excuses. No one is exempt from holiness. No one is exempt from holiness. The reality of grace does not trump the call to holiness. Hear that. I I think we could fall into that rut if we're not careful. The reality of grace, I'm good, I'm forgiven, I'm so thankful I don't live under the law anymore. As a Gentile who's been grafted in, I'm so thankful that I don't have these laws and these things that I'm, I'm held to. The presence of grace does not trump the call to holiness. I would warn you that anytime time you treat grace as something that negates the importance of obedience... Anytime you treat grace as something that slights the importance of holiness, you're showing a grave misunderstanding of God's grace and holiness. And finally, take note. It was not enough for God to send them a letter explaining his desires and his holiness. See that. He took them on a long journey and readied them to hear what he had to say. He brought them through hard times so that they would be ready to hear his law. So that what he had to give them, they would be ready to receive it. He didn't send them a letter. They had to tremble. They had to quake. And they had to be sobered up in the presence of God. It is our awe of God that leads us to understand what Christian living and holy obedience truly looks like. So in closing, I would offer that without a view of God's holiness, we will find no reason to pursue personal holiness. Without a view of God's holiness, this law means nothing. Who cares? I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. So if we don't see God's holiness, if we don't feel the earth shaking, if we don't ever tremble in the presence of our God, If we don't see the possibility of drifting, if we don't see that some living is totally unacceptable to God, if we don't see the way that we treat each other, the way that we talk to each other, the way that we act towards outsiders, the way that we act towards the body of believers, the way that we respond in the midst of conflict, the way that we deal with persecution, whatever it might be, we must tremble before God and see His holiness if there's any hope that we would have a pursuit of personal holiness. Because it's not enough for him to send us a letter and say, I just want you guys to do this, because we will fail, because we'd miss out on the holiness of our God, which drives us to being image bearers. So there's a bunch of questions that we asked tonight. We didn't necessarily answer all of them, but we're going to engage all of the uh, Ten Commandments over the next three or four weeks. And we're going to look at what is being communicated here and what it tells us about ourselves and what it tells us about our God, so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the call placed on our lives as sacrifices who have been transformed by the renewal of our mind, hopefully. And we're done. So let's pray and uh, be done. Lord, we're thankful for our time tonight. Lord, I confess that I wish we could quake a little more. I just pray personally that I myself would have a greater understanding of the vast holiness of God. I pray that your holiness would inform every detail that I face in the coming hours. I pray that your holiness would help me to understand how unholy I am and my desperate need for Jesus. Lord, ultimately, tonight's study is all about Jesus because no matter how many things we are told to do, and how many conditions are laid out, and even how many sacrifices are provided by God to make sure we can be cleansed from our uncleanness. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the Passover lamb. He is the means by which we are acceptable in your eyes because his righteousness, which is perfect and unblemished and never wavering and never unholy in any manner, is counted as ours, imputed to us and not imparted to us. And in that imputed righteousness, we're called to be holy, as you are holy. So I pray that as we hear this, we would pay careful, much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away. We love you, Lord. We humble ourselves before you, and we are a desperately needy people in need of the Holy Spirit, in need of a God who uh, does not leave us or forsake us but is with us so that in all the things we face, we don't just eke by barely, but in fact, we're more than conquerors, dealing with things in a way that glorify you greatly. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to deal with our frustrations and the things that would cause us to grumble in a more holy way. Lord, I've grumbled so much this week. And I'm going to be tempted to grumble again within the next hour. And I pray that your holiness would cause me not to do that. I pray that your patience would cause me to repent and that I would not neglect it and approach you lightly. You are great and greatly to be praised, and your greatness is unsearchable. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.